Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Dear Ruby podcast where we talk about all the personal finance stories that are making news this week. And we have been focusing exclusively on COVID-19 and all the changes COVID-19 is bringing to our pocketbooks. We know that millions of Canadians have lost their jobs. Many Canadians, even though they're back at work, are still looking for work, which means our unemployment rate is at a record high, higher than it's been in almost 40 years. It's at 13.7%, and we haven't been there since 1982 when the, the record high then which what was reached then was 13.1%. So it's not um, a time that feels good for anybody that's looking for a job. There's also a lot of uncertainty when it comes to investments and markets, uh, including the real estate markets. We're going to talk a little bit about that this week. Uh, there was no huge announcements made by the government, especially the federal governments. We know that different provinces, including Ontario, are now allowing families to bubble meaning you can have uh, two families up into uh, up two households rather up to a maximum of 10 people bubble in one group uh, meaning they can interact with each other as they would pre-pandemic um, so that's a nice change I, I know a lot of provinces had already done this especially the ones out uh, out east who had uh, fewer issues with COVID-19 but that also means that a lot of people are going to feel a little bit more comfortable breaking the rules and that could mean a spike in COVID-19 cases uh, later in the summer, especially going into the fall when we're expecting that second wave. I wanted to bring in my co-host, Bo Humphreys. Bo, how has your week been? It's really starting to feel a bit humdrum, this situation, like things just are getting, we're getting into summer and there's not making any plans and it just feels a bit boring uh, just being in isolation. Yeah, we we got um, news that our, our flight to Italy was officially canceled. So, great. Um, uh, first two weeks of August, we were, we, we had planned since uh, January or even earlier uh, to go. So, uh, we, you know, we weren't going to end up going anyway. We were figuring we're just going to wait until uh, the last minute or make sure that we could get the credits for the flights, you know, that kind of thing. But they went ahead and did it for us. So... So you got every um, penny back, or how does no, that work? Well, no, no refund, uh, just a uh, voucher for two years, uh, Air Transat. So mm. that's the standard um, in Canada, unfortunately. And uh, actually, uh, Ellen Roseman has been tweeting a lot mm -hmm. about this. So if you want to find out more about why we're not getting refunds, why this voucher thing exists, why we are supposed to be, like, basically... You know, if you compare it to, um, you know, you go buy something uh, and then you or, or you put a deposit down for something, which is basically what we're doing. We're prepaying and somebody says, OK, I'll make you this shirt or this T-shirt or, 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 or a house or, you know, whatever. Uh, people the people make little mini houses sometimes um, and they'll say, I'll deliver that to you. And they say, oh, wait a minute. Uh, I can't do that. But I'm going to keep your money um, so that in two years, if you need some that again. Then uh, you know I'll I'll already have the money, so you don't have to pay for it. And you're like, well, but I wanted that thing now, mm -hmm. and I don't know what I'm gonna be doing in two years. Um, so uh, apply that to any other part of your life, and uh, it makes no sense. No, but none apparently whatsoever. we're supposed to float the airlines, because it's hard to be an airline, and I, I get that. But you know, in business, you don't spend money that you haven't earned yet. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty much a basic concept, right? Uh, you know, you hold on to it 
Mm -hmm. uh, in case you need to give it back to someone. But nope, uh, not the airline. So two years, hopefully we'll be able to you know, go to Italy or wherever. Um, it'd be nice to have the money back, especially during a pandemic. And um, it just seems a little strange to me. But, and when you and when you, you know, get when you get tickets, whatever airline you're getting them on, uh, often you'll look for like a really good deal, and so you may have paid X amount for a ticket to Italy, but then in two years that deal may not be available. So if they're giving you dollar for dollar on that voucher, you still may be paying out of pocket because mm -hmm. you don't have uh, the ability to cover the entire cost of the flight. So are they saying that they'll just give you a ticket to Italy or are they saying you paid X amount of dollars and we're going to give you that as a credit to future travel? So what, what's, what's their no story? No idea. I, I'm going to have to look into that because that's a really good point, right? Mm -hmm. Is it like, do I get that trip uh, that I paid for and shouldn't I, right? Like mm -hmm. why, why am I being put on the hook for the, the higher costs of jet fuel or whatever it's going to make their costs 100%, going up. Yeah. Why should that be uh, impacting me? Mm -hmm. It just it's it's a, uh, against everything that I've ever learned about how commerce is supposed to work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but as uh, you know, I tweeted back to Ellen when she was tweeting about this, and and I I said, okay, well maybe I'm being too harsh, right? Maybe uh, we need uh, airlines to be able to survive, to be able to travel around the world, and. Hey, maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking it more as a, a selfish thing, and it's not just like going to buy a T-shirt, you know, or somebody building something for you. Mm -hmm. right? It's it's a little bit different, isn't it? So yeah. I'm just trying to be more open-minded, but it still seems really unfair. Absolutely. I'm looking at the Air Canada stock, which is uh, arguably one of the most recognized brands when it comes to airlines in Canada, mm -hmm. and their stock was at uh, 45. Okay, let's go even a further back in January, just over $50, and then it had you know just normal market volatility there. So just before all of this started, uh, the stock was at $45. So yeah, it was at 50, and then it went to 45, and then it plummeted to $12 on March 19th. Oh wow! And now it's back up to. $19. Now, I, I feel like we should add in that the markets did have, which we're going to talk about, uh, a big dip this week. So before that yeah. dip happened, this beginning of this week, the stock was back up to 23. So it's not acting like the rest of the market. It hasn't recovered the way the rest of the market has. Um, so that's an indication as well that this company is struggling um, and you're you're being given vouchers. Now, what if they go bankrupt or what if yeah. they go into um, some sort of creditor protection? What happens to your voucher? Um, and then, you know, maybe another airline might say, okay, we'll take that, but then there'll be a fee. There's so many things like just give the money back and then apply for relief from the federal government. Like everyone else, like if I lose my job, I'm going to apply for CERB just like everybody else. So the airlines should have the same yeah. attitude that they give back whatever they were going to get or whatever money they collected for tickets. And then they apply for um, they apply for uh, some sort of relief and their their planes aren't running and they've laid their staff off. So it's not like they have a huge cost of labor and gas and fuel and, and operating costs right now. So, I, yeah, I agree with you that they should just refund if it's seven hundred dollars your ticket, just refund the seven hundred dollars to, to, to the to the airline uh, passengers. We could use it. You know, it, uh, it, it's sure uh, overall it'd probably be a lot of money for them. But, you know, individually, it's it's a lot of money for us. You know, it's, it, you know, there'll probably be like a CRB, you know, payment, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. for, for a lot of people. And 
again, these are uh, uh, these are uh, privileged problems to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I fe- also am lucky. I use money that I, I I had, right? So these are sunk costs. I didn't. I don't need this money to to live, right? I all I'm doing is missing a, an experience. But you know, you should get what you pay for. That's the bottom line too, right? So. We'll see. We'll see how it all washes out. Maybe they'll, we'll have a little more reform out of this. Um, but I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not holding out uh, too much. I feel like that money's just gone. Yeah. Speaking of money gone, the stock markets this week were really wild. It started. Um, the U.S. Federal Reserve uh, made a comment or indication, at least, uh, that the COVID nineteen crisis is not going away and that it is a long road to recovery. Um, we are expecting that there's going to be a second wave in uh, the fall. And so that means uh, businesses may again be shut down. Schools may again be shut down. People's lives may again be disrupted in a pretty dramatic way. And so if that's the case, that's going to take a hit on the economy again. And so I think markets, well, not I think, I know markets looked at that information and said, um, you know, that that's, that's we need to get out of some stocks. And it was it was interesting to watch because usually when, markets are volatile, a lot of investors go to gold and you see the price of gold go up. But in this case, even gold was selling off. So uh, investors are now at a, those people who trade daily are now in a position where they don't even know where to go uh, because everything has been affected so dramatically um, Mm. that there is no safe haven. There is no, you know, a safe place to be. I had to, I guess, right? I guess, but I like had that, tweeted out. Is that what they're doing? Yes, or you tweeted out? Oh, yeah, they're going into they're going into cash, exactly, because they don't really know what to do with their investments and sort of sitting on the sidelines to see where to put it. But I tweeted out earlier this week that um, this is before the markets uh, plummeted on Thursday. I think I saw that, yeah. Yeah, that basically my portfolio is back to where it was uh, on February too, 19th. Yeah, yeah and... But that's back down now from the, the slightly. couple days ago, yeah. But a little bit, you're at right. A, yeah. yeah, if you look at a chart of the TSX since all of this began, so if you look at a six-month chart of the TSX, so, you know, the the market peaked on February 19th um, at just 17,686 points, and then it went all the way down, pretty pretty steep decline, to 11,000 and change. And then by the time when I made that tweet, we were back to 15,898. Now, not exactly back to that level that it was before, but when I sent that tweet yeah. out, all I was saying was that I've stayed the course. I'm an index investor. I don't trade stocks on a daily yeah, basis. In fact, too. I don't even trade on a yearly basis. <laughs> I usually just add to my portfolio. And then yeah. when I'm adding, I try to make sure I'm weighted, you know, in the way that makes me feel most comfortable. Sure. Um, if you own the whole TSX, so if you own an index that follows the the performance of the TSX, you don't really have to do a lot of that weighting because it's weighted for you. There's financials in there. There's oil and gas in there. There's tech in there. Everything is in there for you. And the market is a representation of the Canadian economy. And so you're sort of riding the wave. And, um, you know, as the Canadian economy has its volatility, so will the TSX. And as the Canadian economy uh, recovers, so will those companies that are listed on the TSX. So even with that, it only came down to 15000 with that drop, uh, came down about, um, about 700 points. So, you know, in comparison to where we were at that 11,000 during the depths of, of when this, this route happened, um, it was, it was in March, we were still just sort of bouncing along. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it was a bad day. And if you're a day trader, you might've lost a lot of money. Uh, but generally speaking for long-term investors, it's yet another just market event. It's interesting. Also, I've, I've been seeing a lot of tweets about how um, the uh, protests in the U.S. especially 
um, have and like the markets are acting like inversely to that. They kept going up. The, mm-hmm. the protests, uh, COVID affects the market, but the protests do not. It's really interesting to see what you know because there's a lot going on um, and a lot of unpredictable stuff and and uh, um, you know it's a lot of chaos out there. But the market wasn't responding to that. And I, I don't know exactly what that means, but it's just an interesting thing that I noticed. It's like you'd think, oh, so, uh, you know, so the, the riots and the, uh, the looting and stuff like that is going to, I mean, why would the stock market continue to go up? Right? It seems, so it's not like you hear about bad news and stock market goes down. It's a little more nuanced than that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the the protests are obviously a direct um, impact on small businesses who are affected because maybe their their small business has been has been the windows have been broken. That's sort of those very, very basic things like that. Um, the people who are doing uh, the protests, I don't think that the investors are are, are all that concerned with how that's going to affect the economy because they're still going home mm. and living in their houses and buying food and doing all the regular things. But okay. COVID-19 actually shuts businesses down. Now, I know protests yeah. shut businesses down too, but it's much more short-lived. But COVID-19 has, you know, has the ability to shut businesses down for months, maybe even half a year, um, and definitely disrupt the economy for a year to 18 months at least. Uh, whereas the protests, as you know, as terrible as they are, they don't, they don't have, and they're also pocketed, you know, it's not like downtown Toronto is shut down because of protests, but yeah, there are mm-hmm. cities in the United States that are under lockdown because of the protests, but it's not, COVID-19 is affecting the whole globe. There's nowhere yeah. in the world that is not affected by COVID-19. So yeah, I, I get your point. Why, you know, why wouldn't they react to that? Um, I think it's, it's, it's a news story. It's not necessarily a market story uh, for, yeah, for investors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit, I think, a couple of weeks ago about Shopify and how they've had an incredible run. All, one of the most, uh, they are now the most valuable company on the TSX. And so a lot of people were saying to me, oh, I wish I had invested in Shopify because it has come up uh, 20% since the markets fell. Yeah. Uh, because it's a company that offers small businesses e-commerce solutions. And that's what the, that's what small businesses need to survive right now. Uh, but if you own the index, you own Shopify. So you you it's have also there. gained from that. Yes, you don't need to own the individual stock. If you own the index, then you own part of that index is Shopify. So you own own it already. So you don't need to to have that sort of uh, feeling of regret. Yeah, it's uh, you know obviously both of us are index investors, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's because we've spent a lot of time learning about this stuff and how you got to have a balance right that's you know if you're all in one area of the market uh, and for covid and that market is decimated right now that industry uh food service for example if you like i'd take my fifty thousand dollars and invest in a new restaurant you know that's your choice just know that there's a lot of risk when you do that so when you just spread it around i mean only when the mar- whole economy goes down which has happened but then as we just as you just said it goes back up, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's the benefit of index investing. If anyone was wondering why we should have balanced funds, um, this is the this is the talk, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, one of the places which is really popular is Canadian Couch Potato. If you want to learn just about yeah, the, Dan uh, Bordelotti, you know, what's happening in uh, yeah in, in the world of index and what it is, you know. And a lot of people say, "What is what's index investing?" I really think rather than us trying to explain it. Um, yeah. That it really is something that you need to learn because if you're investing your money, it's not. It's like anything else. When someone says to you, "This company is going to do really well," you should invest in it. 
you shouldn't just take their word for it. You should go and find out why that company is going to do well. So the same thing with any other product, including, um, uh, you know, if you're an index investor, you should understand why you're doing it and the benefits of it and also the drawbacks of it. So you may not get those big gains, uh, like on days where the market comes up, but you, but you will slowly more, as long as you're, you're slow and steady, you're going to be, you're going to be fine. Yeah, Yeah. You need time. That's all. So um, we talked uh, last week or the week before about CMHC's pretty dire forecast about uh, real estate. And mm-hmm. now, which they're forecasting prices could fall up to 18%. Obviously, does not feel good for someone who just bought a house. Um, but now National Bank of Canada is piling on again. They are Their economists are saying that real estate prices are going to make a sharp drop this year. I think that that is something that we should be prepared for and expect. Um, and that we could see prices fall as much as uh, nine and a half, ten percent on average between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Nine point eight percent is what they said, uh, uh, and and that is um, if you contrast that to the two thousand eight recession, prices fell out on average six point three percent. So much more dramatic uh, than than it was ten years ago. Uh, you know, if you own a home right now and you just bought it, you may feel like, oh, geez, maybe I overpaid. Um, but if you're on the sideline waiting for home prices to drop, this may be that opportunity to get in because it's going to give you a little bit of a leg up on the fact that prices are down about 10%. But it still has to happen. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and, and it's just another reason to you know, look at a house if you're going to buy one for yourself, not as an investment. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's your own house, for example, right? Um, you know, don't think, oh, it's an investment. I can put a little more into that or, or whatever. Uh, buy the thing that you want that you're going to live in for a while. Mm-hmm. And then these things don't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't because you're you know, you're just going to keep living in it and eventually it will pick up. You're not mm-hmm. in it for to look at the uh, at whether it's going to go up or down in value. You're just paying your mortgage and, and you know, see in 10 years or 20 years and you know, we'll look at it then. Right. But if you are an investor in the real estate market, then this. It definitely does affect you for sure. Yeah, if, if you have cash on the side and you're ex- you are expecting to buy an investment property at some point in the next year, this is a good opportunity because you can get something uh, you know a lot cheaper than it was maybe a year ago. Uh, but not most of us are not in that situation. Most of us are just bu- buying our primary residence. And you're right, buy the house that you want. A house is a liability, not an asset, because at any mm-hmm. point, you know, twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollar expense can come up. Um, and you've got to pay for it. If you've got a leaky roof, you got to fix it. If your furnace goes, you got to fix it. If your fridge goes, you got to get a new one. These are things that you just need to do as a homeowner. Otherwise, your home will not run properly. You will not be able to feel comfortable in the home that you're in. And that sort of defeats all the purpose. Uh, but if you, you know, if I look back at data from uh, 1989, 1990, when home prices peaked in Toronto, the average home price back then um, was 230 5000 something like that, dollars. And if you look back at the news reports, at the same time, people were saying, oh my gosh, prices are out of control. No one can afford to live in this city. And if you had just stayed the course, at now that home would be worth, you know, uh, north of $1.2, $1.3 million. And so it would have, you know, it would have gone, you obviously would have felt bad in the beginning for buying it at the peak. But as prices fell and and uh, and, and rose in the next, in the next 10, 20 years, um, the difference between the house that maybe was bought for 
$40,000 less than yours and, and your house at 230 really isn't much because you're both going to see a big, um, a big increase in, in, in price and feel really good about the fact that you stayed invested over the long term. So I, I, I guess my convoluted way of saying is that if you're invested for the long term, it doesn't even matter if you buy at the peak because if you're going to do it for 20 years, that is all going to be a wash and you'll be fine. Yes, maybe for the first few years you're going to feel like, oh, I paid X amount too much. But if you are invested for the long term, it doesn't really matter because in 20 years, you're going to say, oh, it doesn't matter that I paid 10% more than everybody else because we're still selling at a major profit. It's definitely the theme here, right? Is is get, if you have time, then you don't have to worry so much. Um, it's anyone who's just, you know, if you're trading uh, stocks or you're, you're uh, hoping uh, the Airbnb thing is probably the best comparison to, to trading stocks in terms of real estate, right? You get a property to Airbnb it out, and if you did that uh, six months ago, you are screwed right now, right? Mm-hmm. There, um, you know, because you—it's not even you have a tenant uh, that ha- that couldn't pay rent anymore. You were expecting it to pay you a lot more than a regular tenant was going to do, and you don't have that now. And so now you pivot to a tenant, but you probably bought uh, a house that you didn't want to just get regular um, a tenant income from. So if you set yourself up for that, you just have to be, re- you have to have it in your head that if this goes south, I got to be able to afford that. And if you can't afford to take that risk, you don't take that risk. Mm-hmm. Then you end up uh, coming to visit uh, uh, me uh, in insolvency, and that's no good. Because, no. you know, houses, uh, and we are seeing more houses, uh, That definitely that's what uh, um, uh, Doug Hoyes was predicting that there'd be more people um, with with homes filing for um, proposals or uh, consumer proposals or, or bankruptcies, um, and you can have a little bit of equity in a home uh, and still you know file insolvency, um, but most of the time people don't because they can find equity in their home. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I had a client this week, she, so she had a home in there, and uh, we were talking about rebuilding and uh, you know building the savings back up. Right now that her proposal is accepted. And normally that's a pretty uh, straightforward conversation like, okay, let's just, you know, whatever we have at the end of the month and hope to get ahead of the next emergency thing that happens. Well, for her, she already has a a roof that needs to be replacing, as you Mm -hmm. were saying, and it's going to be $8,000. And it's $8,000 is really hard to come up with when you just filed for insolvency. And that's, that's the challenge here is that people are trying to continue to live these lives. Um, And I said to her, I said, you know, try to find that money in your expenses or making more income. But if you can't find it in any of those places, then you got to change your life. And in your case, that might be selling the house. And, you know, because what's the alternative, right? The, the, the alternative is you end up going to payday loans or whoever will try to get you money. And then you never get out of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. People will try to hold on to their lifestyle uh, to their own peril, and it's it's really destructive, and I think we have to understand, like, if I sold that house and I got a little bit of equity and then I just rented something or I even went and moved in with family, wouldn't that be a better option? It's really hard for people to go there, but a lot of people are going to have to make a lot of hard decisions in the next, you know, few months. Yeah. Really. And when it comes to real estate, here are some of the facts. Um, immigration has slowed down almost to a halt, like we've almost halted immigration. And immigration is something that keeps real estate prices higher mm. because people come in, they get new jobs, they bring new money, and they buy homes. And as much as, you know, I hear uh, the sort of conservative voices, uh, you know, against immigration, we need immigration in this country. And in fact, 
once we start to uh, open up again, immigration should be our focus to bring highly skilled people into the country that will start companies, that will hire people, and that will continue to um, lift our real estate market up. Uh, the other problem is is that the deferrals, the mortgage deferrals that a lot of banks have uh, allowed their customers to do, eventually are going to come due. And so that's going to mean that, um, A, you're going to owe more money because you deferred your mortgage, and you also have to start now making uh, payments that you were you know, not doing for six months. So two things have happened over the six months. You may have become used to the fact that you're not making that mortgage payment. So you become comfortable with that extra oh, no. money. That's and tough. not everybody is back to work. You know, as I mentioned, unemployment is at a record high. And so if you still, if you're if your uh, job situation has not changed, but all of a sudden now you're expected to make mortgage payments, that could mean uh, Canadians selling their home in haste. It could mean selling their home for a lot less than what they paid for it or a lot less than what it was worth uh, six months ago. And that is definitely going to going to put pressure on the, the real estate market. And on top of this, now we know we have heard from CMHC that the qualification uh, to get a mortgage is now stricter starting July 1st. So um, it we talked about it last week in, at length, but it, uh, just to give an overview, it basically means that at the same uh, you need to have a higher um, credit score and you also need to show that you can make your payments um, at much uh, lower ratios than you could before. So you can, you know, your credit card debt, your car debt, all of that is going to weigh more on your ability to get a mortgage and the banks now can't offer you as much as they could um, even, you know, uh, this month. Uh, starting July 1st, those changes are going to come in. So all those things are going to impact real estate prices. And so, you know, I'm now reading CIBC as well. Most banks are forecasting that the next 12 to 18 months are going to be very volatile in the, the market. Volatile in the sense that we're going to see markets going down, lower and lower, real estate market prices going lower and lower because people simply can't afford to buy those homes. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people don't even have enough money to think about saving up for a down payment anymore. And now it's higher. It's 10%, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you want to be... Uh, if you want to uh, qualify, right, for uh, the CMHC mm-hmm. uh, insurance, uh, which you have to do, right? So it's like there's no no real choice. Save up your 10%. But how are you going to get that when maybe you're trying to you have no job. Uh, <laughs> bail yeah. your small business out, for example, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about is uh, RBC uh, do, uh, putting out a report about small businesses. And it's something we already know, but it kind of, you know, seeing it in black and white really... Um, puts it in perspective and kind of helps us understand the kind of economy that we are we are in right now and where we're headed. Uh, they're really putting a push on small businesses to pivot big time during COVID-19, and that means bringing businesses online, which is why companies like Shopify are doing so well because a lot of companies are doing that. If you're, you know, if you used to sell makeup in a store that had a storefront and now that store is closed down, uh, you may be, uh, you know, really... Um, uh, leaning in on your online presence, getting a better website, being able to sell your products that way, maybe providing tutorials on how to do makeup, whatever it is, but everything is happening online. Um, they're saying that small business, as we know, is crucial to Canada's economy. It represents 42% of GDP and almost 50% of new jobs are created by small business. So 
Um, they are an integral part of our, our, um, our, our economy. Small businesses consider businesses that are less than 500 people. Oh, that's medium size. I believe it's less than 100 people. Um, okay. Small uh, enterprises have recorded almost double the rate of job losses as mid-size and large firms. So if you work for a big corporation, they've been able to, able to keep you on for whatever reason because they have a lot of money, not for whatever reason, because they have a lot of money. Yeah, but if you it. work for a small business, uh, their margins may be much tighter and they just simply have not had the ability uh, to keep things going and they've had to lay their employees off because um, they can't continue to pay them even if they are working from home. Well, people are the easiest things to cut, right? If somebody goes in to cut costs in the business, uh, the easiest thing is, is people. The harder thing is to restructure in some way, right? Um, so, you know, that's the first thing that they think, and it's it's usually a pretty big line item on the on the list, right? So, you know, if people do that um, in small business, yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna cut people, and maybe just hopefully for a little bit, and then they can use this uh, the wage subsidy or anything like that to bring them back. Um, but in that's only short term, and the long term, they got to pivot. And, you know, I can, uh, my company, for example, um, you know, we were uh, set up uh, to do video uh, by, you know, by exception in January. You right. know, I can do counseling by video if somebody moves away or if they're sick or, you know, if they just can't make it in. And, and uh, there, there's a reasonable thing. Telephone was an exception only, like, if you're incarcerated, like that kind of thing. Um, it, we had to have a real good reason for a telephone. Now, video is standard. And telephone is the exception if they don't have video. That's that's basically it. Right? Some people just don't have they they're they're not good with technology or they don't have video capabilities, and that's fine. So that, what the, what a pivot that is. But if we weren't set up for doing video already, if we didn't have webcams and headphones and headsets and the ability to work from home and all that stuff, it would have been we would have had to shut down. But we didn't. And so that definitely credit to the uh, to our management for mm -hmm. for acting quickly. Not everybody has the resources or the quick thinking or, or even knowledge about how to do this stuff to be able to pivot like that. So, yeah, like this RBC report, a lot of uh, things are coming out to try to help people and guide them, hey, this is what you got to do to mm -hmm. survive in the future, mm -hmm. right? You can't just hope everything comes back. Mm-hmm. Well, this is very much like a Main Street versus uh, Bay Street uh, kind of situation mm. where the, the companies that are, you know, listed on the TSX and the companies that have like big, you know, they're in those big towers and they deal with a lot of um, virtual business anyways. So they have clients all over the world that they've already been used to dealing with on video camera or on, on, on internet, uh, on sorry, email. Um they're, they've been very easy for them to pick up and send their employees home. But a company that, you know, relies on customers coming through the door, that relies on that those relationships that they build in the community, it's not mm -hmm. as easy for them. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to just uh, confirm that small business, according to StatsCan, is a company from 1 to 99 employees, which I think your company would be considered Yeah, I, I think we might be slightly over, but yeah, I mean, we're close. We're not like 200. I think it's closer to 100. But yeah. Is it? Okay. And yeah. the medium-sized businesses are 100 to 499. So this is yeah, really okay. talking about businesses with less than 100 employees. Um, these are often businesses that are often quite young, too. This That's is the reason. one person uh, often, yeah. too. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, if you're a one-person shop. 
Uh, maybe it's easier for someone who's a one-person shop to. Well, to that's you, it. right? Yeah, yeah. I guess. I mean, I, I don't consider myself a business owner. I'm self-employed. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I guess I would be in that in that group. As opposed because... to an employee. Yeah, that's all. I just think. Yeah, about I have a like I have a business number, so I guess yeah. they do consider me a business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which I which I um, when I invoice, I add my business number. Um, there, you know, a couple of things that RBC found in this is that small biz firms have recorded double the rate of job losses as midsize and large firms. Uh, so, you know, bringing those people back is going to be uh, harder for them because they've just laid that many more people off and maybe they've gone on and, and found other jobs. We know that the recession has impacted, um, low income at a more greater rate than those in higher income brackets because, uh, retail is shut down. Hospitality is shut down. So those are businesses that often uh, hire, you know, young people or people working for minimum or just a little bit over minimum wage. Uh, again, you know, they're saying accommodation, food services, arts and entertainment, uh, non-essential retail. Yes, yeah, so all those businesses are all very much employ uh, low-income wages. Uh, their employees are make low wages. Um, and it's easy for them to move on because those jobs, you know, if it's readily available somewhere else, they'll move on. It's not like you're the CEO of a company and like, it's really hard to find another job to kind of manage a company that, um, uh, that, that with your skill set. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, you know, technology and wholesale trade and administrative services, they're at lower risk because you can do those things from home. You can still do that job from home and, um, and it's, um, it's it, it's unfortunate because it's those are the big rich companies and they seem to be surviving better. Um, and again, yeah, kind of uh, interesting, eh? That those who can afford to uh, pivot don't have to pivot. Mm-hmm. And those that were in such tight margins, mm-hmm. like restaurants, they have n- nowhere to go. Yep. Uh, I don't know what that says. I don't know what that even means. Uh, you know about the way our economy is structured. Where all the risk, uh, you know, uh, the frontline workers or the grocery store workers who make the least money. Mm-hmm. What is that? What is that about? I've been thinking about that a lot. And it, it all does seem unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, wh- where did all these values come from, right? We value the rich or mm-hmm. value the, those who are, have money already. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's uh, just making me think about all this stuff. Um, and and, it, and it's often been referred to as a she session. So women have been more greatly affected by yes, uh, course, job yeah. losses. And, you know, again, in this report, they're saying women and youth face a greater job risk from small business uh, woes, as they put it. Um, they're, suffer, they're suffering uh, because of, you know, declines in employment um, because they're in those they're in those professions are already, um, you know, a lot of the uh, retail sector and hospitality sector women work at a greater rate in those sectors and they they're the ones that have been cutting a lot of people um it's been a this it's been a good show i'm in a little bit of a little bit of a downer if you ask me <laughs> everything we talked about bad markets bad real estate bad small business forecast but it's the reality yeah. right of what covid19 is doing to our economy um you know we can expect that uh, our GDP is going to be down double digit, double digits in uh, in the in the third in the second quarter for sure. But even um, for 2020, uh, we can expect that year over year that our economy definitely shrank, and we were definitely in a recession. I think it's naive for anyone to say that we're not. Um, and when the economy starts to open up because of that new normal and all the things that we have to do to stay safe, it's not going to be easy for um, small businesses. Uh, or any business uh, to to make the kind of uh, profits they did before the pandemic started. 
I was just thinking how uh, important it is for us to do this every week. You know, even though, like you said, it's a bit of a downer. I, I mean, why wouldn't we talk about this? We're just sitting at home saying, oh, well, it's because it's all bad news, right? I think it, <laughs> I think this is good. Like, sure, we it'd be great if we could talk about, like, you know, here's how you do this. Here's how you make more money. Here's how you, you know, here are the opportunities and stuff. We'll but get it's to also, that yeah, day. we'll get to that. But this is this is we're in survival mode right now. This is survival, mm-hmm. and so we need to talk about it because if if we don't talk about it, people are just going to be sitting at home wondering what's going to happen. And so let's just keep the conversations going about whatever it is. Like I, I, it's I'm glad we have this show to be able to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, let's just keep doing that and talk about whatever we need to talk about. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's really important to uh, take the week's news and condense it into our into our podcast so that people know what's going on. Of course, if they have any questions that they want us to answer about mm-hmm. uh, personal finance and COVID-19 and the impact it's having on your finances, please uh, go to our website, dearruby.com, D-E-A-R-R-U-B-I.com, and you can send us a question, audio question or email question, and we'll answer it on the on the podcast next week. Um, as well, we're on Twitter now, the Dear Ruby, uh, just Dear Ruby podcast. And so you can follow us there and get updates on what we're doing. And, uh, you know, always open to hearing all the issues that Canadians are right now facing. I know with CERB coming to an end, if those people who have been taking it uh, uh, continuously four weeks at a time, uh, it will run out mid-July. So that's a whole other issue that I'm sure we're going to cover in the in the weeks to come. That's right. All right. See you next week. See you next week, Bo. Take care, everyone.